So let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll read down through verse 13. And, uh, well, let's read the whole chapter. On through 17. And then we'll come back and talk about some of it. It says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And his sons Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head, the fat in order upon the wood uh, that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. <clears throat> and if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it uh, a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar, and he shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat, and the priest shall lay them in order uh, on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of the turtle doves or young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it into the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now then, <coughs> we've read this first chapter, not only some introductory thoughts, but of the burnt sacrifice. If you want uh, more on the burnt sacrifice, the law of this burnt sacrifice is found in... Uh, the sixth chapter, let me see if I can find it. Well, I'll have to find that for you. 
But it's in the sixth chapter, verses 8 through 13. That's the law of the burnt offering. And by the way, when you're studying these sacrifices, there are five main sacrifices uh, that you'll deal with. There's the uh, burnt offering, the meat offering, and the peace offering. These are three what they call sweet savor offerings. And then there is the sin offering and the trespass offering. And when you're studying these, you find the counterpart or the law of these offerings in the 6th and 7th chapter. And I'll give you those verses as we study. But I want to give you some more introductory thoughts as we uh, progress along. Now, the burnt offering and the meat offering and the peace offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering are the five offerings that we'll study. And all of these have a meaning for us as far as the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, His life, the meat offering, has to do with His life and the sinlessness of uh, His life and many things that we'll discuss about that. The key word in this book of Leviticus is holiness. And it's found 87 times Genesis sets forth God's remedy for man's ruin. And Exodus is God's answer to man's question of how can I be delivered from the bondage of the world? In Exodus, God has the answer to that. Just as Egypt was delivered, just as the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, so will we we be delivered from the world. By what? Blood and by power. Two things. And Leviticus presents God's provision for man's need. Man needs a sacrifice, and God has promised a lamb. Man needs a priest, and God has promised a priest, not just after the order of Aaron, though he was typical of Christ's priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek that you find even earlier in the book of Genesis. And man needs a plan of worship. And God provides a tabernacle, And He provides a person, and that is Christ, and a place, uh, and that is the church. By the way, all of these statements here are taken from my commentary that I made in 1955 and 6 in the Bible Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Then it moved to Arlington. And I copied some of them out of my commentary. And every line of this was typed by my dear sweet wife. And she deserved that degree more than I did. I wrote the notes and she typed them up for me or I'd have never made it through school. But anyway, every time I look at these, I think of all the work that she went through. You know, when we had her funeral the other day, whenever it was, a couple of weeks, isn't it now? But whenever it was, Three weeks or something. Uh, I commented on a verse of scripture in the book of Revelation. I believe it's fourteen thirteen or thirteen fourteen, if I remember right. And it says, "Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, they will rest from their labors, and their works do follow them." And not only here upon this earth their works follow them, but even into heaven. And so I'm thankful, and I had a lot of prayer before I came up here concerning all that uh, my dear sweet wife had done for me 
and for the family and for the church through 40, 50 years of service. And I'm thankful to have that as a legacy. And when I look around the house, I see at least 150 oil paintings. Some of you have been in my house, Susan and others. And there's not a space on the wall. They're all knotty pine walls. And you can drive a nail in them. Thank goodness for that. And there's not a space that we could find. The last picture she painted says, where are we going to put this one? And we just looked and looked and finally found another space. There was always one more that we could find to hang up. But anyway, I have them on, the, have them on my computer as my uh, uh, screensaver. And they flash up there, put them on with a digital camera, and they flash up there. And I just sit there sometimes and watch that screensaver as it goes through those things. Amen. But thank God for her. And I owe all these notes to her as far as the visibility of being able to read them. I'd, when I'd take them in school, <clears throat> I had to go for uh, from uh, 7 o'clock in the morning till noon, uh, solid classes, one right after the other. And I'd get home and I'd show her the notes and she'd type them up while I was going out to work and build foundations and houses and whatever till maybe 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes pouring concrete, trying to make a living for my family. Up at 5 and start over again for three and a half years and that gets pretty taxing on a person. But anyway, I thank God that uh, she helped me all the way through. And... Uh, I don't know why I got off on that. I guess because I wanted to, probably. <laughs> you know, Brother Way, when you're in a church, as long as I've been in this one, you can kind of do just about as you please. <laughs> and they don't mind. Sometimes they just they ag me on, and I just go right on. But anyway, I'm thankful to have these. And that's what you'll be hearing, is all my commentary. It's in a big folder with a uh, one of those hardbacks that you put on put your notes in, and I just copied them out for convenience to have them here. So what you're going to hear is my commentary on the book of Leviticus, and I have it all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, that's what we'll hear as we study this, because I think there's some good information. Now then, Leviticus presents God's provision for man's need. And then man needs a sacrifice. We said that God promised a lamb for a sacrifice. And man needs a priest, and He promised that priest. And He needs a place, a plan of worship. God provides a person that we worship. And through that person, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, He uh, provides a place for worship. And the place for us today is the church. Now, the basis of all worship is sacrifice. And acceptable worship must be based on an acceptable sacrifice. It must be accepted in the sight of God. We were taught that even in the book of Genesis where the Bible says that Abel offered unto God, and it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. I believe that's Hebrews probably 11 verse 4 along in there. So we find that it's quoted from and taken off of the historical event in Genesis where Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices. <clears throat> so God accepts that worship, which is a blood sacrifice, uh, 
And uh, man being guilty and unclean needs a sacrifice to remove the guilt and to cleanse him from his defilement and to fit him for the presence of God. And I'm glad that God has given us the figure and the pictures of it all in the Old Testament. And the Bible says that these things are figures of the truth of heaven itself. You read in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, Christ is not entered in the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the truth. So the tabernacle we've been studying is figures of the, all the things that we studied. And, and we cannot go back and redo that, but we've shown you the figures of the truth. But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So, and then too, I think I have given you the rule for studying the Old Testament and what it means. And that is what? And I know some of you will help quote it. I think Emily will look up probably. The physical and material in the Old Testament symbolizes, picturizes, and typifies the spiritual and the heavenly in the New Testament. And so if you'll use that as a basis to study the Old Testament, you'll find that it does picturize, it symbolizes, and it, it uh, typifies. And uh, we're told that in the New Testament. And then we give you another important scripture to tell you that we do have the authority and the admonition to study the Old Testament to understand. And you know, people say, well, I just study the New Testament. Well, you don't study it very well because in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So you have the basis of the encouragement and admonition to study all the Bible. And you read Romans 15.4 and see if that's not what it says. Now then, we said that this cleansing that we have to fit us for the presence of God is through blood. And we find that the, these blood sacrifices... Uh, are for various things when we study Leviticus. And all of them represent something about Jesus and His sacrifice, whether it's His life or His death. Because the meat offerings signifies more of His life than it does His death. Because it is a, uh, a sweet savor offering, but it is a bloodless offering, the meat offering. Now then... Uh, we want to point out too that these Old Testament sacrifices could not take away sins. They were burdensome. And they were burdensome rituals. And the Jews' conscience was never perfected. Made perfect. The Bible says in Hebrews, and Hebrews is a good commentary to read as far as uh, the whole of the first five books is concerned. But it tells us in the book of Hebrews, neither by the... Uh, the, that it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, we know that they pointed to the fact that there would be a, a provision and a sacrifice that would take away sins. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9 verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so, it's complete in Christ. But now, uh, in the accepted sacrifice of Christ, He put away sin, Hebrews 9 again, by the sacrifice of Himself. 
And when the worshiper comes now, he has nothing to do except to show forth the praise of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we're going to give you these notes, and I trust they'll be a blessing as we progress along. Now, we're now clean every whit, the Bible teaches. Remember Peter, and when Jesus was going to wash the disciples' feet, He says, you know, you cleanse me, wash me all over. And uh, Jesus said that you're clean every whit. He says you just need your feet to be washed. And that's because of contamination in our daily walk in this world that we need daily cleansing. Now then, uh, there's no more consciousness of sin now for us. The Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest appears in the presence of God for us. And the priesthood of Aaron stood daily ministering uh, their work which was never finished. You read in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, The priest stood daily offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never uh, take away sins. But it says, But this man, referring to Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. We've taught you before that most of the time when we do work, we have to stand and finish the work. But when we finish the work, we're, we can be seated. And so he sat down. The work being done, Jesus completed it, and he sat down on the right hand of God. <clears throat> now then, our great high priest, Christ, represents us in heaven. Just as Aaron and his sons represented the people then, and the high priest represented them, and represent them even on the Day of Atonement. But our great high priest is Christ. And He's a present in heaven, there to appear in the presence of God for us. And when Aaron appeared in garments of glory and beauty, he represented Israel. And their names were on his breastplate. Remember we've taught in Exodus, and we taught the tabernacle, and we taught the attire of the, of the priests. And... The names were not only on the breastplates, but they were on two onyx stones upon the shoulder of the ephod, remember? Six on either side. And then twelve on the breastplate of the ephod, which is uh, put there with four rows of three each. And each one had the names. Each one of these stones, set in ouches of gold, had the name of one of the tribes of the children of Israel. And six on either side. And we gave you that in Exodus chapter 28, I believe, where we find that this being typical of Christ, as the priests bore the names of the children of Israel on His shoulders and upon His heart continually before the Lord, so Christ bears us, all the family of God, every child of God, upon His shoulders and upon his heart in heaven. I'm glad to have such a representative, aren't you? I'm glad that we don't have the earthly one like the children of Israel had, though that was God's plan for them. But it all typified and is a figure of what we have in Jesus Christ. Now then, the Christian's only hope for a place of worship is inside the veil. And this veil represents Christ. Now, these five offerings of Leviticus give us a deeper insight of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Now, the burnt offering 
is Christ through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. Hebrews 9 verse 14. You write that one down. Hebrews 9 verse 14. A whole uh, burnt offering is how Christ offered Himself without spot to God. Notice that was to God. I gave you in some of the introductory work, Ephesians 5 verse 2, where it says, And walk in love, even as Christ also hath loved us, and has given Himself an offering for us. That would be the sin offering, wouldn't it? A sacrifice unto God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's the burnt offering. So in Ephesians 5.2, you not only have the sin offering, but you have the burnt offering. And when you talk about these two, there's a great deal of difference. Uh, the Bible teaches that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And when you come down to uh, the meat offering, you're going to find that true. But uh, we're going to study these offerings uh, more fully when we get into them. I'm just giving you the, the names of them now. We have the burnt offering. And we've given you a couple of Scriptures. Hebrews 9.14, Ephesians 5.2. But when we come to the meat offering, uh, that tells us that this one mediator b- between God and men is the man, Christ Jesus. The man is seen in his life as he uh, does what he does for our sakes and our salvation. And then we come to the peace offering. And the peace offering... In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, God hath reconciled us to Himself by Christ Jesus. In other words, He's made peace. Uh, Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross. Write these down. 2 Corinthians 5.18 and Colossians 1.20. So in the peace offering, we see Christ reconciling us to God by His own sacrifice of Himself. Do you see these? We've only covered two aspects or three aspects of these offerings. First of all, we gave you the uh, we gave you the burnt offering. Then we gave you the meat offering, which has to do with Christ's life. And then we gave you the peace offering. And uh, all of these are sweet savor offerings. These three. This is what pleases God because attached to the offerings, even though there was bloodshed in the burnt offering and the peace offering, there is that which pleases God. Isaiah 53 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And it shows us Christ's love even to uh, the point of giving Himself completely on the cross of Calvary for our salvation. And then when you come to the sin offering, the next one, we find this is not a sweet savor offering. We find it's a sacrifice for sin. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So it's a complete sin offering. We find in First Peter, well, Hebrews 9 verse 26 first, He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And then in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it tells us who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. So that's another Scripture. 
First Corinthians 15, verse 3, it tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And Hebrews 9, verse 28 says, For Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, some people have been very confused about that last verse of Hebrews 9. Unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin. What does without sin mean? Without having to make atonement for sin, for this He did once. It does never indicate that Christ had any sin whatsoever. But He bore our sins and He settled the sin question. And so when He appears the second time, He'll appear to take us home. He'll appear at the rapture and the resurrection. And thank God that we're going to have that good day. You know, there's a song I've been listening to. Uh, Lou made me a bunch of CDs. And I called her and thanked her for them. And they're gospel songs. And one of them I love dearly. And I play it, I've played it almost every morning. And it's Alan Jackson singing his gospel songs. And there's one down there. And I can't hardly say it without crying. It says, I want to stroll over heaven with you. I listen to that and cry. Anyway, I guess grown men do cry too. I know one. I'm pretty well grown. I'm 79 years old. If I'm not yet, I won't be. So anyway, uh, we know that he, He's going to appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That sin question is settled once and for all. When He said it is finished, that was all of it. And then we come to the not only the sin offering, but the trespass offering. And we have in that trespass offering in the New Testament, we would say that uh, it was uh, for Him to... If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. We have Christ making provision in His death for our failure as well. For our sins that we commit after we're Christians. Now, there's a lot of people who do not believe that they commit sins after they're Christians, but I think they're very much deceived. Because the Bible teaches that, that there is sin... In our lives, the principle of sin is there from birth. And the practice of sin is there because we fall sometimes into sin. And uh, God made a provision for that. He made the trespass offering. And He made that all of us provided in Christ. All of the, these offerings that we're dealing with are provided for in Christ. And He made provision for our failures. And brings us uh, a condition of complete forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth. That's continued action. E-T-H. Us from all sin. It just keeps on doing that in our lives. And we're to go ahead and confess our sins on a daily basis. And thus find this cleansing that that we so desperately need. And then we find something else about this. The book of Leviticus is a book of holiness. 
And we've already stated that the physical and material in the Old Testament typifies, symbolizes, and picturizes the spiritual and the heavenly in the New Testament. This is something you ought to memorize. Everyone here ought to memorize that. Let me read it again. The physical and material in the Old Testament typifies, symbolizes, and picturizes the spiritual and the heavenly in the New Testament. That's not difficult. Even if you just remember the points, you don't have to remember word for word. And every fundamental truth for the New Testament is found in type or shadow in the Old Testament. Every, every doctrine of grace and of faith is found in type or shadow. You know, there was the Ark of Noah that shows us the security of the believer. There's the Ark of the Covenant that we've taught behind the, the veil here that we have and the mercy seat over uh, the lid of the ark. And in, in that ark, there was what? The two tables of the law. And that shows us that ark is a type of Christ as well. And in that ark, the law was kept. So in Christ, the law is kept. And He's kept it for us. And Romans 8, I believe, verse 3 and 4 says, for what, listen carefully, for what the law could not do, you know, there's some things the law could not do. And it was weak through the flesh. God, <coughs> sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, that means a sacrifice for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, now listen carefully, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So He perfectly kept God's law so that we could uh, have this uh, forgiveness and cleansing and provision and... and uh, Exemption from, from us having to keep the law. Now then, that brings me to the second section of these notes. And we're talking about the burnt offering again. In, and we're talking about it in detail this time. We've just given you a gist of all these offerings. We mentioned the burnt offering. We mentioned the meat offering. We mentioned the uh, peace offering. Then the sin offering. And the trespass offering. And those are those five great offerings that we're going to find here in the book of Leviticus. And let me just say that all of these offerings are very instructive for you and I as we think about what Jesus did for us. In fact, if you look at the very first part, and we won't, uh, uh, I'll try to give you some of the things about the way that we should offer this sacrifice, if you look in verse 3, Leviticus 1 verse 3, it says, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle. His own voluntary will. You and I have to accept Christ of our own voluntary will. And not by constraint. You know, uh, this this really gets to the root of conversion. You know why? Because you see so many people that are are uh, by constraint of others or persuasion of others, not the Holy Spirit, but just force in some ways, being brought, so to speak, to the Lord. But that constraint. Is, is out of the question. God wants a willing offering. Amen. He wants you to willingly accept Jesus as your Savior. Amen. 
He wants you to bring your offering with, from your heart. Look, it, it says, let him offer a male without blemish. He said, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Well, wait a minute. I got that wrong. I went on to the top of the page and that took me back to Exodus. Let me read that again. If his all... <laughs> There's a division in my Bible right there and I went all the way to the top. It kind of made a little sense though. <laughs> In spite of that, because it's basically the same thing when I read on down here. Except the hanging of the court gate. Let's read it again, verse 3. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So, by putting his hand upon the head of this offering, he was becoming one with it. He was saying, this is what I deserve. This is my death. This is my birth sacrifice. And he was identifying himself with the offering. And that's what we basically do with Jesus. We identify ourselves with Him. And as He offered Himself on the cross, we offer ourselves unto Him who died for our sins on the cross. Notice of His own voluntary will. And if they came to worship God by their sacrifice, they had to do it not by constraint, but willingly, because it would not be true worship if they worship by constraint. You cannot force an individual to worship God. That has to come from that individual himself. And when it does, it's true worship. And God seeks such to worship Him. And what is the counterpart of that for you and I today? The counterpart is this, that Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, God's been merciful to us and saved us, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we present ourselves a whole burnt offering or a burnt offering to God. And remember that in this burnt sacrifice, this was a sweet-smelling savor to God. God could ask no better and He asked no more of you than to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him, which is your reasonable service. So, Jesus totally gave Himself to God and we should totally give ourselves to the Lord in the same way. Now then, <clears throat> when we look at verse 1 again, we find the Lord called unto Moses. And by the way, we're going to start over now and bring you the burnt offering itself in detail. So when we start dealing with it now, we'll give you more detail of what we've kind of already been studying. But we, won't, we don't want to slight any of these things because there's so much there that if you pass over it lightly, you don't get the full picture. So now we've titled this one, The Burnt Offering. In verse 1, The Lord called unto Moses, spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying... Now then, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, there went out a fiery law and condemnation came to Israel. 
the fiery law came. And here God speaks from the tabernacle, offering not condemnation, but grace. He's offering them grace now, instead of condemnation. And here God speaks to them, and this tabernacle was God's gracious dwelling place. This is where God says, I'm going to dwell in your midst, at least at that point in time. And this, we find that the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us. That's John 1, 1 verse 14. So Jesus tabernacled among us when He was upon this earth. And had God continued to stay at Sinai, He would have consumed Israel. Remember, Moses had to pray. Uh, God said, I'm going to let me destroy all these people. They corrupted themselves and and I'll just get rid of them. And Moses stood in the gap and he says, God, if you will not forgive these people, will you blot my name out of the book? And of course, Moses' intercession, he stood in the gap between the sins of the people and, and God. And, and of course, we need a mediator standing in the gap. And we have that one. Now then, <clears throat> so God Himself within the veil of the tabernacle, is giving us a place of atonement. This veil is the flesh of Christ. He veiled Himself in human flesh. And only one time that we see Him really letting the light shine out, and where was that? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And Isaiah says, when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. He was like other ordinary men, except for the things He did and the power of His Word. And they said, never man spake like this man. But when it came to His appearance, only one time with Peter, James, and John, He was transfigured transfigured before them and His face did shine as the sun and His raiment was white as the light. And they, of course, said, uh, oh, Peter, He said, let's build three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And when they lifted up their eyes after God said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. When they lifted up their eyes, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw no man save what? Jesus only. And so that was quite an experience for at least three disciples or apostles. Now then, uh, <clears throat> the tabernacle of congregation, the tent of meeting, the law of sacrifice as a as a remedy, remedial institute. It was promulgated not from the mountain top like the moral law, but from the mercy seat. No wonder the scripture bears out the wonderful truth of the abundance of the mercy and the mercies of God. First Peter one verse three says, speaks of His abundant mercy. Ephesians 2.4 says He was rich in mercy for great love wherewith He loved us. And David's repentant psalm, Psalm 51 verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies blot out my transgression. So these three Scriptures show us that God certainly deals with His uh, own in mercy and forgiveness and grace. If you notice verse 2 now, we'll take verse-by-verse commentary in this first chapter. Verse 2 says, 
Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. So, this is a voluntary matter. It's not commanded. And it's not limited to any particular group. You know, we have the little children to sing a song. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. How many of us have heard that in Sunday school? They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And God is no respecter of persons. Any soul upon the face of this earth is invited to accept Christ. And it's our business to get the message to those that haven't heard. That's why we have missionaries all over the world. And that's why I'm glad that in this small church, you can look back there on the bulletin board and see at least 14 or 15 missionaries that we support. And anyway, what we find is that uh, we're responsible to give that message out because it is a matter for all to believe. And it's... uh, for rich and poor, bond and free. And this opens a way for any and for all that will come and offer themselves come to accept Christ. Christ knows no racial barriers. He knows no denominational barriers, but opens the invitation to all, and it says in that whosoever will, we sing the song, whosoever will surely meaneth me, doesn't it? And then verse 3 says, if his, burnt, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. You say, well, preacher, you're feeding. Well, there's some more things I want to say. You know, they say repetition is the art of learning. And so we're going to try to get you to learn something. Now then, in the burnt offering, everything was burned on the altar. God received everything. And the offerer received nothing. God is the receiver on this. On the burnt offering, it's God. And it's called a sweet savor offering. The burnt offering does not portray Christ on the cross bearing sin. The burnt offering doesn't. You say, well, Christ bore sins on the cross. Yeah, that was a sin offering. But the burnt offering does not portray Christ bearing sin, but... Christ on the cross accomplishing the will of God. Doing what God uh, wanted Him to do. Both, both things are true. The sin offering and the burnt offering. But each part goes in its proper place. And that's why we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just as we divide the word of truth, we show you the meaning of the burnt offering, and we show you the meaning of the sin offering. But the burnt offering was totally for God. Every bit of it was for God. It was burnt up. And it was for God. It's a sweet-smelling savor. And sometimes it's hard for us to separate those things because we say, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Certainly He did. But He died wholly pleasing to God. And it was God's plan and God's purpose. And we need to understand that. God planned it to be that way. God purposed it to be that way. It's an offering in which God finds great delight. 
It's a portrayal of that side of the cross which our Lord Jesus Christ, in which our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of the Father, gives Himself in death wholly unto God, that He may reveal His love as the Son of the Father. And He reveals His love to the Father in doing this. You get that point? That is the main point of the burnt offering. And it's the complete surrender of Himself unreserved, in unreserved devotion to the Father. Christ gave Himself totally unto the Father in His sacrifice. And this offering is in contrast to the sin offering where God, what did God do? Hides His face from the Son. Remember on the cross, when Jesus was in the midst of His sufferings on the cross, and He cried out, the fourth word from the cross says, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Why? And He felt God forsaken. And God was hiding His face at that time because Jesus was loaded with our sins, bearing our sins in His own body on the tree. So that's quite a contrast from God's finding the death of His Son as a sweet savor offering. And we need to understand these things about how full the suffering of Christ was on the cross. And we go, when we get to the peace offering, He made peace by the blood of His cross. Colossians 1 verse 20. Uh, he took care of our uh, uh, trespasses, our sins after. And our sin, the penalty of our sin, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the sins that we commit. So there's provision for us now who are weak and sinful people. In spite of the fact that He's delivered us from the penalty of sin, one day He'll deliver us from the presence of sin, but now He's delivering us from the power of sin. And we confess our sins on a daily basis. So, we need to understand more and more about this. In this offering, God is filled with joy. You say, how can God be filled with joy when His Son was on the cross? He's filled with delight because He sees a love